let you do if you can open with me to Proverbs 29. So Proverbs 29. For those that are new to FBCO, um, at the beginning of every year for the past seven years, we have asked um, every member of our faith family to seek the Lord, ask Him to give you a word for the year. So we've asked um, you as a faith family, seek the Lord, ask God to give you one word that is anchored in the Word of God that will become your prayer for this new year. Over the last seven years, I've been amazed by the words that um, God has given to, to you for the stories um, that have uh, amazing, amazing stories that have come as you guys have sought the Lord and what God has done through those words and through your obedience to those words. So right up here to my left and your right, we have the board. Pastor Jordan actually did a little thing of all the words from last year. So um, maybe you have forgotten your word uh, that's not a good thing, but maybe you have forgotten your word, and that would be a great reminder of the word that God gave you last year. But then we have over here um, cards that we want to encourage you to write the word for the year that God has given you, but don't just stop there. Um, write a Bible verse, because the reality is that Bible verse is way more important than that word. So that word is important, but the Bible verse is more important because it gives power to it. So write the Bible verse down that goes along with it and put it up here um, as a testimony to um, what you believe God is, is doing and what God is saying in um, your life. And this year, God has given me two words, um, which is kind of weird. I'll, I'll explain more about the second word on Wednesday night. But let me say this, as Pastor Jordan said, if you would like to share your word, we're going to have times on Sunday night, on Wednesday night for you to do that. If you want to share your word in a more exhaustive way, you know, if you want to do a more in-depth study of the word that God has given you, um, by all means, let me know. We can set it up on a Sunday night or on a Wednesday night as well. We can, we can do that. So if you feel like God is kind of calling you to do a little bit more to, or take a step further, there's opportunity for that. So let me just throw it out there. But um, this morning, the word that you're getting for the year is kind of low-hanging fruit, meaning it's really easy to pick. Um, it's kind of the expected word of the pastor heading into 2020, um, that word, of course, being vision. And I know it's kind of easy there. Um, it has nothing to do with my vision problems from 2019. So just so you understand that, there's, my left eye is still bad. It's still blurry. Um, there we go. So it has nothing to do with that physical context. Here's what I've learned. Throughout the years, I have learned that the eyes of my heart are far more important than my physical eyes. In fact, I've learned that I could be physically blind, yet have accurate spiritual sight. In the same breath, I could have 20-20 vision and yet blind to my own sin or to God's greatness. Helen Keller was once asked, what would be worse than being born blind? To which she said, the only thing worse than being blind is to have sight with no vision. <laughs> only thing worse than being blind is to have sight and yet have no vision. Vision is essential for our survival. It, it is spawned by faith. It's sustained by hope, sparked by imagination. It's strengthened by enthusiasm. Vision is greater than sight. It's deeper than just a, a dream or an idea. It encompasses um, vast thoughts outside of what's predictable or what's safe or what's even expected. Yet the vision that we're talking about this morning isn't just my ability as a pastor to create or dream up something. When we say vision, what we are saying is a revelation given to us by God from His Word. And I say that because 
and you're going to, and we're going to kind of talk about this. The verse we're going to look at today is one of the most misapplied and misinterpreted verses in the church today. And it comes from kind of the original way it was presented in the King James Version of without vision, people perish. So it's our job to come up with vision, and it was later interpreted correctly. No, we're talking about a word from God, which is the, the picture here. So what I'm doing is I'm asking God, like never before, to give me a vision this year for my life, for my family's life, and for the life of this faith family. I'm praying, God, give me a vision that won't go away. God, give me a vision that just will not go away um, in my life. I love the words of Oswald Chambers, whose devotion, My Utmost for His Highest, is an amazing but deep devotion. But he writes these words. He says, It is easier to serve God without a vision. Easier to work for God without a call. Because then you're not bothered by what God requires. Common sense is your guide, veneered over with Christian sentiment. But if once you receive a commission from Jesus Christ, the memory of what God wants will always come like a goad. And you will no longer be able to work for him on common sense basis. Let me say that again. It's easier to serve God without a vision. And it's easier to work for God without a call because you can kind of follow your own desires, your own emotions. But when we receive the vision or the calling, it, be it becomes very specific to us or what we know God is calling. As believers, as we say all the time around here, we must serve God not on our terms based on our beliefs, but based on His terms, His revelation, His word. So this morning we're going to dive into Proverbs 29, 18. In fact, I'm not even going to ask you to, to stand because this is going to be over quicker than I could get you to stand. Um, but Proverbs 29, 18, I'm just going to believe that you're standing in faith in your hearts. Um, 29, 18, Proverbs says this. Where there is no prophetic vision, the people cast off restraint. But blessed is he who keeps the law. Let's pray. Father, we come before you. And Lord, what we need, like never before, is not fresh ideas that we can come up with on our own. Or we don't need more creativity just on our own, Lord. What we need more than ever before is your word. We need you, God, to break the hardness of our hearts and break the blindness of our eyes. To cut through, Lord, the deafness of our ears to hear and respond to you. Holy Spirit, speak to every single person in this room today. By your word, God, speak in ways that we cannot ignore what it is that you're saying. God, help us to understand what your vision is for, for this, your church. And may we never, ever divert from that. We just pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. And you may be standing around, you're already seated. Some habits die hard, but so here, the reality of what we just read, we need God's word. This Proverbs reminds us of that, that the Bible is crucial for us. Without a revelation from God, we are desperately ignorant. Without a revelation from God, hear this, we will self-destruct. In fact, individual examples of dysfunction exist all around us. We neglect the Bible. It is to our own peril. And yet the Bible talks about fulfillment and blessedness that comes as we open the word, as we keep God's commandments. 
And the lesson of this proverb that we just read is simple. Yet this verse is often open to false interpretations. It's open to false application. Here's how this verse normally plays out in church. So let me just tell you how this verse normally plays out in most churches. An ambitious pastor stands up before a very contented congregation and says, to be a big church, we need to think bigger. If we want to grow, we need to think growth. And then he says something like this. If we can dream it, we can believe it. And if we can believe it, we can achieve it. While the movie you know, Disney music is playing in the background and really encouraging us in, in that way. Then he says, where there is no vision, the people perish. Get a vision. Get a vision for the church doubling or tripling. And then what happens is next a vision statement is cast. And then a mission statement comes along that kind of serves the vision statement. And then a list of values are composed to serve the mission. And then a way, a, 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 an array of programs come about to help serve the values. And then a stable of leaders are then recruited to serve the programs. And then a bunch of volunteers are then recruited to serve the leaders. So that's kind of the common picture of how this thing works in most churches. And there is, please don't hear what I'm not saying, there's definitely a place for casting vision related to the direction of, of, and, and the future of the local church. In fact, there will be much of that throughout this year where we cast visions related to the future of our church. We believe this, if, if we don't plan for the future, we might not have one. If we don't plan for the future, we might not have one, and we want to have one. So therefore, we're going to plan for it. Throughout this year, we will definitely be casting visions related to ministries, related to buildings and projects that must be done um, from the standpoint of the, the future. But let me say this very clearly today. That's not where we, where we need to begin, and that's not where we're going to begin. We must begin first and foremost with God's word and with his purpose for his church, meaning that we may have a vision, we might have an awesome idea of what we think this church can, can be, but if it's not given to us through God's revelation and for God's glory, then we will not and we must not conform to it. We must put it away for the sake of what God wants to do. So what we're going to do this morning is unpack three truths related to a divine or prophetic vision as we see in the Word of God. And granted, a great time to open up your new bulletins, these notes right here, and uh, get to work as we are about to dive in together. So truth number one. We need to understand and we need to see the surpassing or the supreme call of a divine vision. The surpassing or the supreme call of a divine vision. We're told where there is no prophetic vision, the people cast off restraint. So think with me about a vision. We're not talking about just a weird vision. We're not talking about just a dream that comes about by eating too much Mexican food. And you're having all of these weird dreams and all of these things that happen. We're talking about a divine calling by which you don't wake up going, man, I must have ate some bad Mexican. You wake up going, oh, God spoke. Or, you know, you leave church going, God spoke. For the success of the church today has very little to do with earthly planning, with goals, with dreams, with, with hard work. And it has everything to do with us building everything we do upon this word. And making sure that we do not divert from what the word of God tells us. So, so what is a biblical vision? Have you ever done a, a word study on the word vision in the Bible? If you haven't, today's your lucky day because we're about to. 
we're about to do that together. So today is your lucky day. I'm, we're not going to look up the verses. I'm going to give them to you, encourage you to write them down and, and go back and look over them. But think about the way vision plays out in the Word of God. In Genesis 15, 1, the vision that God gave to Abraham literally was, according to Genesis 15, 1, the Word of the Lord. In Numbers 12, 6, the vision that God gave to the prophets was that he would speak to them. Vision of the prophets, he would speak to them. Numbers 24, 4, the vision from the Almighty was hearing the words of the Lord. In Numbers 24, 16, the vision of the Almighty was again hearing the words of the Lord and knowing the Most High. So hearing God's word leads to us knowing God. In 1 Samuel 3.1, the frequent vision of God that it says was actually the words of the Lord. So the frequent vision was the words of the Lord. In 2 Samuel 7, 4-17, the vision of God to Nathan the prophet given to King David was the words of God. In Psalm 89.19, God's vision was him speaking. We see this throughout Scripture. In fact, um, prophets such as Isaiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, Obadiah, Habakkuk all refer to the heavenly vision or the, or the heavenly message they received as vision. Fifteen times in the New Testament where the word vision is used, each verse deals with a heavenly message. So vision Vision in the Word of God is not God saying, you're smart enough and you're wise enough and you can come up with it on your own. That's what we tell ourselves. And God says, no, I planned from the foundation of the earth, I planned and I knew that you're stupid. And I've given you enough time to use you in spite of your stupidity. That's, that's what we tell ourselves. We're good enough to do this on our own. And God says, no, you're idiots. You're idiots. At least that's what God tells me. Maybe God doesn't tell you that. Maybe God speaks amazing, awesome words into your heart. But God looks at me and says, you're an idiot. Because you try to do it without me too many times. And here's the point. What God is telling us is don't lean more on your own understanding. God is saying, lean on me. Listen to me. Hear what I'm telling you. And what happens when we expose ourselves to God's revelation? What happens when we place ourselves before God's word and when we're attentive and responsive? Here's what happens, 2 Corinthians 3.18. It says, And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image. Meaning, we will become like what we behold. And what we aren't beholding, we will never become. So if we behold the glory of God in the face of Christ to the word of God, we will become more and more like him. But yet, if we close these Bibles, we will never become like what we never behold. If we're not looking to this, if we're not digging into this, if we're not seeking the Lord, we will never become more and more like him. So the main point here is that Christian believers are being transformed degree by degree into the image of Jesus. And it says this, it ends this way, for this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. It's not our doing. God is doing this by His Spirit through us. We will become like what we behold, which begs the question, what have we become? What have we become? I want you to think about your life 10 years ago. Are you more spiritually mature now than you were 10 years ago? Are you serving God more now than you were 10 years ago? What have you become and what are you becoming? 
What are you becoming? Ultimately, divine vision is about seeing things from God's point of view. The problem is we sometimes think we know more than God does, even though Isaiah 55 says, no, your thoughts are down here. God's thoughts are way up here. Stop getting it confused. And we often get it refused. So what we need is we need a spiritual attitude adjustment by which we understand in order to see from God's point of view requires that we come to God again on his terms, that we continue to live on his terms, that we seek God for what we can't get on our own. I think of the words of Dawson Trotman who says this, vision is about getting on your heart what God has on his. That's what we're talking about. Vision is about getting on your heart what God has on his heart. And what does God have on his heart? I'm glad you asked. God has people, all people, on his heart. All people. We think programs. God thinks people. We think preferences. God thinks people. We think budgets and we think buildings and God thinks people. Let me remind you of something that we often forget. We, the First Baptist Church of Ocean Way, we exist first and foremost to glorify God. That is why we exist. But secondly, we exist for people. We exist for people and we exist for all people. And part of our existence is ministering to saved people. We want to see saved people grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. But if we're not careful, let me tell you what happens. If all we do is minister to saved people and we just stop there, then we lead people to believe that the church exists to make and to keep us happy. And that's what we begin to believe, that the church exists to make and keep us happy. And please hear this from my mouth this morning. Ultimately, I could care less about your happiness. I could care less about your happiness. What I care about is your holiness. Because Hebrews 12, 14 says this, without holiness, we will not see the Lord. Without holiness, we won't see the Lord. Therefore, I care way more about your holiness than I do about your happiness. At the same time, let me say this, I care about lost people. I care about people who do not know the Lord. I care about people coming to know the Lord. And let me say this with a, with a hurt heart. People coming to know the Lord has not happened here with the regularity that it should have. In 2019, we baptized the least amount of people that we have in 20 years. So what does that mean? It either means I'm failing as your pastor or we are not putting our eyes where they need to be on the lost world around us. Brothers and sisters, something has to change. Something has to change. It has to change. Let me say it this way. If your felt needs as a church member here at First Baptist Ocean Way are greater than the needs of those outside that do not know the Lord, then you have somehow missed the mission of Christ for his church. You've missed it. There are some in churches today, and maybe even in this church, who think it's the job of the pastor and the job of the church to keep them happy. And to keep them here, meaning it's my job to win you and to keep you here. Please hear this again. It's not my job to keep you here. And it's not my job to keep you happy. Listen, it's not my job to win you. If you're here today and you're saved, praise God, you're saved. You have been saved by his grace. So therefore, you don't need to be won. You need to grow up. 
So you don't need to be one. You need to grow up. There are lost people that are outside of these four walls that God has strategically placed you in their lives for their salvation. God has strategically, God rigged the whole thing. God rigged the whole thing to put you in their lives for their salvation. Listen, do you have a vision for lost people in your area of influence to come to know the Lord? And let me go a step further. Do you have a vision for people in your family who do not know the Lord? Meaning, according to the word of God, if they die, they will spend eternity in hell. Do you have a vision to see them come to know the Lord? Do you have a vision for that? The most important thing in our lives is to have, to keep, and to pursue a vision that agrees with the heart of God. And the vision that agrees with His heart will mean lost people coming to know Him. If that's not happening here, then what are we doing? What are we doing? So the surpassing call of a divine vision leads us secondly to the sad condition Of a disregarded vision. The sad condition of a disregarded vision. And the sad condition is this. There are people in our world who have completely disregarded the prophetic vision of God. People, according to 2 Corinthians 4.4, whom the God of this age has blinded their eyes so they cannot see the glory of Christ. Let me just say this this morning. Not only is Satan keeping lost people from seeing the glory of Christ... Many professing believers are keeping lost people from seeing the glory of Christ. Meaning, unbelievers aren't seeing the glory of Christ because we're not showing them the glory of Christ. We're not showing them anything different than what they've already experienced. Just think with me how we're failing here. First of all, when we think about the church across the, um, the nation or church or just across the world, vision is being disregarded in the pulpits. Did you know, according to 2 Timothy 4, that the number one job of a pastor, hear this, is to preach the word. Preach the word. What if no gospel was preached in this pulpit? What if there was no no awareness of man's lostness without Christ being preached here? What if sin was not described as man's greatest problem and Jesus described as man's greatest need? What if the whole counsel of God was being concealed in place of more palatable messages that make us feel better about ourselves? Imagine a pulpit void of God's power because it's void of God's word. Some years ago, a pastor was praying and he was on the floor just seeking the Holy Spirit, praying, God, give me power for the ministry you've called me. Over and over again, he said, God, give me power. God, give me power. God, give me power. And finally, he felt the Lord speak to him without doubt, saying, stop praying. With plans as little as yours, you don't need my power. And brothers and sisters, here's what I'm saying. I pray that through the word of God, Through the word of God, I pray that I am calling you to pursue God-sized tasks for God's glory alone. That I'm calling us to pursue things that only God can get the glory for. Vision is being disregarded from the pulpit, but let me go a step further. Vision is also being disregarded from the pews where you are sitting. Listen to what 2 Timothy 4 says. It says, preach the word, and it says, the time is coming when people will not endure sound doctrine 
Many of the pews of the church are plagued with people who don't want truth. They don't want truth. They don't want truth according to God's word. And others who are fighting battles that aren't the Lord's battles. There are some in the pews today that are fighting each other and instead of, instead of fighting alongside each other. We're fighting each other for the sake of preferences instead of fighting alongside each other for what God has purposed. The point is, we are to hear and desire and obey the word of God. Are we giving ourselves to the commission of Christ? Are we giving ourselves to making disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that Christ has commanded, knowing that he will be with us until the end of the age? Are we giving ourselves to the commission of Christ, or are we giving ourselves to the causes of man? If we dis- and please hear this, if we disregard the commands of Christ, we as a church will die. We'll die. If we disregard the commands of Christ, we will die. Did you know that every single day in this nation, 10 churches close their doors for good? Even more than 10 because it ends up being over 3,700 churches a year are shutting their doors for good. There's many reasons why, but ultimately the number one reason is that these churches disregarded the mission of Christ. And let me just say this. When we forsake the mission of Christ, we forsake the promise of Christ. Meaning, we forsake, when we forsake the mission, we forsake the promise that the gates of hell will not prevail against his church. When we take our church and make it what we want to be and we leave him out, then Jesus says, I don't have any interest in blessing that. The gates of hell will have its way with that. Or we'll see the negative side of the promises. Amos 8.11 says this, Behold, the days are coming when I, the Lord, will send a famine on the land, not of bread or of water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. If we disregard the commands of Christ as a church, we will die. And it makes me think of the words of Dr. Miles Monroe who says this, it's kind of long, but just follow with me. What is the richest place on earth? The wealthiest spot on this planet is not the oil fields of Kuwait, Iraq, or Saudi Arabia. Neither is it the gold and diamond mines of South Africa, the uranium mines of the Soviet Union, or the silver mines of Africa. Though it may surprise you, the richest deposits on our planet lie just a few blocks from your house. They rest in your local cemeteries and graveyards. Buried beneath the soil within the walls of those sacred grounds are dreams that never came to pass, songs that were never sung, books that were never written, paintings that never filled a canvas, ideas that were never shared, visions that never became reality, inventions that were never designed, plans that never went beyond the drawing board of the mind, and purposes that were never fulfilled. One of the greatest tragedies in life is to watch potential die untapped. Then he says this, only a small percentage of the seven plus billion people on this planet will experience a significant portion of their true potential. Are you a candidate for contributing to the wealth of the cemetery? Then he says this, don't go to the grave with your treasure within you. And that same could be said of our churches. We have the power of the Holy Spirit within us, but the problem is we keep it to ourselves keep it to ourselves, and we let it just stagnate there. 
If we aren't following the commission of Christ as a church, brothers and sisters, we will die. Which leads us to number three, the serious consequences of a denied vision. The serious consequences of a denied vision. So just think about what it says the consequences are. Without or where there is no prophetic vision, we are told the people cast off restraint. That phrase, to cast off restraint, could also be interpreted to disintegrate, to go unclothed, or to perish. Just think about how those meanings show the full consequences of no vision, both morally, socially, personally, and eternally. Let me just show you kind of how those phrases work together. Think about the the moral consequences of having no vision with that phrase, to cast off restraint. And what that means is this, when we don't live by this, we do what is right in our own eyes. When we don't live by this, we do what we think is best for us. The problem is the Bible says there is a way that seems right to man, but its end is death and destruction. Listen, to cast off restraint is to live based on what we want and what we think, and it ultimately and always blows up in our face. Then think about the social consequences. Think about that phrase, to disintegrate. If we don't have a prophetic vision, we will disintegrate. And think about Judas. Judas from the New Testament. The last words about his life say this, and falling headlong, he burst open in the middle. That word burst open literally means to disintegrate. Judas literally came apart, but he came apart long before he burst open and fell. He came apart about three years prior to that when he refused to acknowledge Jesus for who he is. Because he was. Because he rejected the center of all of history, because Judas rejected Jesus, he went to pieces in the middle. And the same is true in every life who rejects the vision of Christ. They will slowly disintegrate apart from him. Then think about the personal consequences. Think about that phrase, to go unclothed. So it could say, where there is no prophetic vision, the people go unclothed. Now that's just kind of gross and weird, but just follow with me here. In the Bible, throughout Scripture, clothing is a picture of both sin and righteousness. So dirty clothing is a picture of sin and unrighteousness. Clean clothing is a picture of the righteousness of Christ that clothes us. When Adam and Eve sinned, so when um, they sinned, their eyes were open, they recognized they did not have clothes on. And they immediately had a choice. They could run to God and fall upon His mercy or they could take matters into their own hands and try to fix things. They chose the latter. They chose to try to clothe themselves and ended up being inadequate clothing. Listen, anytime we try to clothe ourselves apart from Christ, the Bible says that we are putting on filthy rags. We're putting on filthy, filthy rags. That's the personal consequences of thinking we're doing it on our own. And then think about the eternal consequences. The eternal consequences is without a prophetic vision, the people perish. Without a vision, without this word, people are perishing. Without the gospel, people are perishing. Without the gospel, people will live forever in a living death, in a dying life, in a place called hell. That is why saved people on this side of heaven owe the gospel to every um, lost person on this side of hell. So every saved person on this side of heaven, meaning we're listening or we're living, excuse me, we owe the gospel to every lost person on this side of hell, meaning those that are alive. 
we owe the gospel to? Do you have a vision for those who do not know Christ? Do you have compassion for those who are currently casting off restraint and who will most definitely perish apart from Christ? Years ago, a wealthy businessman went to India on a Bengal um, tiger hunt. He was in India for six weeks, and upon his return, he went to his large local church for its midweek service. Just so happened that that Wednesday night they were discussing the budget. And he stood up and he said, I would like to request that we take all funds um, for, for foreign missions and we cut them off and give them to something else. An older gentleman stood up and said, sir, um, why do you say that? To which the businessman said, I spent six weeks um, in India and never once did I see a missionary. So what are we giving towards? And the older man said, well, sir, why were you there? To which the businessman said, I was there on a Bengal tiger hunt. And the older man said, well, sir, how many did you see? And the businessman proudly said, I saw six. And the older man paused and said this, well, that's funny, because I spent 30 years in India as a missionary, and I saw hundreds and hundreds of missionaries, but I never saw one Bengal tiger. Meaning, brothers and sisters, we will see what we're looking for. You will see what you're looking for. If, if, you, if you think that this is about you, you will see the many opportunities where it's not. And you will be discontent and you will be unhappy. But if you see this as an opportunity to reach people who don't know Christ, then guess what? We will see the opportunity to join God in what he is doing to reach a lost and dying world. Listen, are we looking? What are we looking for? What are we missing? Spiritual vision is getting on your heart what God has on his heart. And here's my prayer, brothers and sisters. I pray that God would give us a vision here that would decrease the population of hell and increase the population of heaven. That God would give us a vision that decreases the population of hell and increases the population of heaven. So what I want to do is I want to, I'm asking you to seek the Lord for a vision for 2020, a word. But I want to call you to seek the Lord for even something more than that, a whole lot greater than that. Seek the Lord this year for the spiritual life of someone else. In 2014, we did something, and this week God led, laid it upon my heart to do it again. And here's what we're going to do. Down front right here, we have more cards. Of course, we have cards and cards and more cards. But here's what we're asking you to do. We're asking you to come down front and to write names of loved ones, friends, co-workers, neighbors, people that you know who do not know the Lord. Write their names here and put their cards down here. And then pray that God would give you an opportunity this year to share the gospel with them. And then here's what we're going to do. Every Sunday night that we gather here on Sunday night, at the end of our service, towards the end, we're going to come up here, we're going to take every single card, we're going to give them to different people, and we're going to pray over every single one. Every Sunday we are here, we're going to join with you in praying for every single name. Believing and knowing this, that God is not willing that any should perish. So here's the question. If God is not willing that any should perish, are we? Are you willing for your friends to perish? Are you willing for your loved ones to perish? Are you willing for them to perish? Oh, that we would get to a place where we would join the heart of God 
join the mission of God that he has called us to live in this world for his glory. Oh, that God would give us a mission that would decrease the population of hell and increase the population of heaven. That is my prayer. That is my word. So you can go ahead and stand. We're going to call the musicians forward as we enter into a time of invitation and consecration. And let us pray together. Father, we come before you. And Lord, we thank you for your word. Father, I pray for any in this room today who do not know you, that your word today, your, your spirit, Holy Spirit, that you would have convicted them and showed them their need for you today. And today would be a day of salvation. That they would call upon the name of the Lord and be saved. Oh God, bring salvation to those even here that don't know you. Lord, I pray as well for us, God, that you would give us a vision for what's on your heart and what's on your heart. Jesus, you came to seek and to save that which was lost. Help us, God, to join you in that mission. Give us that vision that we exist for your glory, but we exist for people who do not know you. God, help us not to be content to just continue meeting while lives are not being transformed by the gospel. Father, we pray that this year, 2020, will be a year that we will see more saved and more baptized than ever before because we once again reestablish our priorities to be your priorities. God, break our hearts for what breaks yours. Finish this time. In Jesus' name, amen.